Have you ever wanted to discover what's missing in your life? Metaphysics is available to all and is part of your life even if you don't know it. Welcome to Metaphysics, a view through the veil with Barb Crowley. Together we'll explore the mysteries behind metaphysics and how to use it to have a deeper understanding and advantage in life. And now here's your host, Barb Crowley. Hi, this is Barb Crowley. Welcome back to Metaphysics, a view through the veil. We are talking, we are continuing our series on UFOs, UAPs, extraterrestrials, and today we have Stacy Wright. Um, Stacy is the state director for Arizona MUFON and also the director of Phoenix MUFON. Uh, she is a certified field investigator and STAR team member, which is a strike team area response um, group. And for the MUFON and for the past 15 years has helped to build the Phoenix MUFON chapter from ground up to become MUFON International's 2017 chapter of the year. Stacy has worked as team leader on Roswell archeological digs with Don Schmidt, helped design and produce the Phoenix Lights exhibit for the Arizona Historical Society Museum acted as MUFON's coordinator for the 2018 and 2019 field investigator boot camps and was team leader for the revision of MUFON's state director handbook. Stacy is also the organizer of MUFON's field investigator boot camp, which has been held in Mesa, Arizona for the last four years. The boot camp is a weekend of concentrated instruction on the protocols of completing a quality investigation of UF, UFO-related events. Hey, Stacy, I'm so glad to have you here. You have so much information. One thing I will want to say before I welcome you to the show, that the um, Phoenix and Arizona MUFON is the largest in the world at this point. And Stacy has really been the director of putting a lot of the programs together for all the other MUFON groups. Now I'll welcome you to the show. <laughs> Thank you so much, Barb. It's great to be here. It's so good to have you. You want to start and talk about what MUFON is? Sure. Um, MUFON is the acronym for the Mutual UFO Network, which started in 1969. And MUFON took off where Project Blue Book left off. So mm -hmm. the Air Force has had different programs starting from 1947. They started out with Project Sign, Project Grudge, Project Blue Book. And then when they kind of gave up on that in 69, then MUFON took over. So what we do is we are the world's largest UFO reporting agency. And there are a couple mm -hmm. other reporting agencies out there, but they do not investigate their reports. MUFON is the only one that actually physically goes out and actively investigates. So we have a, a database that's absolutely huge of every case that's come in since 1969. And so we're just trying to, you know, put all those pieces of the puzzle together and try to find out what this is, maybe what it isn't. And we have field investigators all over the world. Uh, every 50 states in the United States has MUFON chapters. And Arizona right now has uh, Phoenix MUFON, Sholo MUFON, and Sedona MUFON. So mm -hmm. um, I'm very busy running the Phoenix MUFON group, which is, you know, one of the most successful groups. And we have a lot of fun. We've got 21 field investigators just here in Arizona. So they're kept very, very busy. And we average about a case a day. Wow. 
Yeah. That's a lot of stuff going on just in the state of Arizona alone. Yeah. Yeah. It seems to be an attraction (laughs) to things out there. There's some kind of hot spot thing going on here. I can't really explain what it is, but Mm -hmm. I know that we have, you know, our ground is a lot of granite, very old, old granite, which is incorporated. You know, it's just filled with quartz. So maybe there's something about that energy system that's either drawing energy to it or they're putting the energy in it i don't know which right or allowed to be a portal Mm -hmm. which is what we're going to talk about in a little bit but before we go there if you have a case a day what percentage of those are real ufos or unidentified um Uh, well right now the percentage of the unknowns that we get is about five percent of Mm -hmm. everything so right. that's a lot, you know, 95% is a lot of stuff out there that we can't identify. So our field investigators are trained and they're drilled and they are certified and they're really good at what they do. So they can find out 95% of everything that a person has witnessed. A lot of it might be conventional aircraft. It might be natural phenomenon, even planets, stars, um, birds. Satellites, yeah. There's all kinds of stuff going on out there. So, but the 5% is the really interesting part, the unknowns. And those are things that simply can't be explained. We cannot find out anything that we know. So it is an unknown. Wow. So you get a call into your center and then you call an investigator in the area. How quickly are they out there? Um, It depends on the category that it's listed. If it's an abduction type of a case, then, you know, we're smack on it. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just lights in the sky. Then basically what a person does is when they have a sighting, they go to MUFON.com. There's a Mm -hmm. big tab on the website there that says report a UFO. So they click on that. They fill out a simple questionnaire and then they hit submit. And it goes to the main MUFON website and database. And then it's shot back down to the originating state. And then it comes to my desk. So I then assign one of our field investigators to that case. And they have uh, between 24 and 72 hours to contact the witness. So it happens very quickly, depending upon that the is quick. Of the case. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Do you go out on any of them anymore? Or just, you're just running the show now? Well, I, before I became one of the administrators, I did a lot of cases. So I've done over 150 cases, um, but I don't really do them anymore. I go out on as support with some of our teams. So if we have a, a big case, something like an abduction or a really high caliber case that mm-hmm. comes along, I'll, you know, put a couple of my field investigators on that. And then we have a, uh, our chief investigator, Dennis, also runs a great filming business. So he'll bring his really good equipment. We will film it to record the interview with the witness. Mm -hmm. And I act as just an advisor and the notary. So um, we have, you know, a team of us that go out and we we just call it, you know, getting the band back together again. Yeah. (laughs) And um, how traumatized are people when you go out? Are they traumatized or? It depends on, you know, what they've seen and what they've witnessed. Um, Mm -hmm. Most people, this absolutely rocks their world just to see. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. To see some kind of a craft or some kind of a light in the sky that they know is doing maneuvers that is not normally possible. Mm -hmm. Uh, It really rocks a person's world. It changes their whole paradigm. So, you know, we do have, MUFON does have the experiencer resource team, which is put in place when there is an abduction or someone needs some counseling, they need someone to turn to, they think they're going crazy. 
They want to know if there's other people that have had similar experiences. So we would investigate the main citing report and then the experience or resource team would come in and work with that person as well. So mm-hmm. we let them handle that second half of it. So we've got, you know, some great resources and really very educated people working on these cases. Our field investigators come from just a variety of backgrounds. I mean, we've got doctors, we've got lawyers. I have seven law enforcement on our team. Wow. Um, and that's really cool. I'm, I'm really yeah. proud of that. That's just a cool thing because police detective work is very close to UFO detective work. The protocols are the same. The forensic field work is the same. It's just kind of a different subject. So mm-hmm. I feel you know, really proud that we've got these law enforcement, really highly trained individuals working on this stuff. It's not just any Joe Schmo out there doing the field investigation. That is amazing. You run boot camps, but we're going to talk about those a little bit later too. Um, now, once with the um, abductions, Do people really remember or is it just lost time or is it both? Well, I think the people that report the stuff into us are remembering. Mm -hmm. Um, If they didn't remember, they wouldn't have anything really to report. They would be too confused and too disoriented to really make sense of what they were feeling. That's why a lot of people think they're just going crazy because these are some feelings and, and just emotions that they're not used to. It's, it's something totally new to them. So Mm -hmm. They do need help. Some people just need someone to talk to, to tell them you're not crazy. You're not alone. You're, you're not the only one that has seen or experienced something like this. And that really makes them feel just so much better because it's, you know, it's the unknown is scary. It's scary for It's everybody. very scary. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, when you, maybe they've watched a lot of TV or they've got a lot of uh, very fearful, fearful religious background going on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's or just blowing your reality. Just, yeah. you know, watching that. Right. Um, we talked a little bit, you know, off camera before, off camera, off the radio before we came on. And I asked you then if you could repeat how you got into this. What caught your attention to get so involved with UFOs? You've never been abducted. No. Have you ever I seen one? I recall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I just have always been really enthralled with the stars. So I had a real interest in, in the astronomy side of things. And, and there mm-hmm. is a need to know your astronomy when you're dealing with this, because you have to know what's out there, what people could be looking at yourself before right. you can, you know, coach them a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. but, you know, I grew up as a normal kid up through this six, late sixties and seventies, you know, we all watched Star Trek and the Jetsons and yeah. we had a little bit of that whole spacey thing going on. But I was always really interested in the stars. One of my favorite things to do was to sleep outside in the backyard, you know, on the sleeping bag. You can just look straight up at the sky and just watch it at night. So I, you know, when I got old enough, I found a a college that had a really great astronomy program and attended that college and learned a lot more and um, never really had an interest in the whole UFO or alien thing. Although I did think that, yes, of course, there's life out there beyond what you know, our planet is, I never had a doubt about that. But um, then all of a sudden, one day, something just hit, you know, it was like, it was like a a light switch had been flipped on. And all of a sudden, I just had this uh, urge to find out about aliens. And so I did a ton of reading, watching stuff, reading, talking to people, just research, research everywhere. And 
not really finding enough time in the day to do what I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, and I thought, you know, surely in this world-class city of Phoenix, Arizona, there's got to be a UFO group somewhere, you know. Mm-hmm. So I went out online looking for something, and I came across this crazy thing called MUFON. And I noticed that they hadn't had any meetings in seven or eight years, that it had just lain dormant. So yeah. I wrote to someone in MUFON, not knowing that, that it was the executive director of all of MUFON that I was writing to. <laughs> but he said, yeah, you know, let me look into that. And I don't know why there's nothing going on there, but I'll get back to you. So about two weeks later, he did. And he said, I got a meeting for you. We're going to start stuff up there. So the assistant state director at the time was mm-hmm. heading up this, this group meeting. And there was about four people there. And I was one of them. And um, they were looking for someone to start up a new group, you know, start Phoenix MUFON up somehow. Yeah. And you have to become a field investigator first and blah, blah, blah. So I just raised my hand immediately. And I thought, I, I can do this. I could do four people, surely, you know, but <laughs> I've never had any experience um, talking in front of people or anything like that. So it was really all new to me, but it came, it just happened. I mean, I think that this mm-hmm. city was the right setting and people were just ripe for something to come Pull about. all the information the together. Lights had been here. And then all of a sudden this group disbanded or just fell apart. Something happened. I'm not sure what, cause I, that was before my time. Mm-hmm. So anyway, we just um, started up. I started up with Jim Mann. He was my partner in doing this and it just happened. People just, when, when was that Stacy? We started this up in 2007 and actually our very first, guest speaker was Stanton Friedman. So he is known as the grandfather of ufology. And sadly, he passed away a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. But anyone in the UFO field knows who Stan Friedman is. And he was just the best. And he was your first speaker. He huh? was our first speaker, which wow. was crazy. He knew that we were starting this up again, and he just wanted to help. And uh, he came all the way over from New Brunswick and, and was our guest speaker, free of charge. And wow. <laughs> he's the most sought after speaker in the world. And he did this for us. So it was just something here was really meant to be. And yeah, it, it just yeah. happened. So we, we built up our group and now we've got oh, between 150 and 200 people in attendance each month at our presentations. Mm-hmm. And we've got this beautiful venue, which is the Arizona Historical Society Museum. And to have a group like, you know, a UFO group in a place of fact this big, beautiful state-run organization. And they actually asked us if we would like to come there and have our meetings there. It was strange. And what is that called? It's the Arizona Historical Society Museum. Okay. So it's run by the state. It's this beautiful- That's amazing that it's run by the state. Like three Costco's. It's huge. Mm -hmm. Just huge and beautiful. Great museum. And they have a big auditorium inside mm-hmm. this museum that seats 300 people. And that's where we have our monthly presentations. It's amazing. So it's, it's beautiful. Yeah. I, you know, I'm absolutely amazed that, that the group wasn't together after Phoenix lights, which yeah, was I, 97. I really, How could it fall apart? You know, after the largest, really the largest um, viewing of UFOs, in the world, maybe in history. I don't know. It is. It still holds the title as the largest, you know, UFO mass sighting. Right. Right. I'm I'm not sure. I know that, you know, back then there wasn't cell phones. No one was taking pictures and videoing things like they do now. Right. We don't have that footage like we would today. We have very little footage and we have some footage 
of the flares mm -hmm. that came afterward, not right. the actual event. It was the Air Force came in and decided to mess with us a little bit, and they did drop flares at 1030 that night. Yeah, I had, that was a um, real deal. Yeah. I had uh, Dr. Lynn uh, Kitai on, uh -huh. and yes. she talked about, she wrote the book, Phoenix Lights, and talked about the whole um, her whole experience with it and then the investigation after. And that's why right. I'm so surprised that that man sighting over Phoenix and over Arizona, I'm surprised you didn't have a huge, you know, thousands of people in I your know, chapter and right. then have it, it fall was, apart. It was investigated, or at least the, the video that they did have was analyzed by a private lab, Village mm -hmm. Labs, that was run by Jim Delatoso. Right. He did an amazing job on it. He's very good at what he does. But we just didn't have, I, I'm not sure what the group was made up of back then, but they didn't have, I guess, what it took to really stick together. The organization, yeah. Because, yeah, look at what happened here, you know. Um, it, it's amazing. We still, get, we still get reports in from people even today that mm -hmm. say to me, you know, I was witness to that event on March 13th, 1997, but I felt like I could not or should not talk about that at all. It, I couldn't. I just couldn't yeah. say a word about it. But now I want to tell someone about this. I want to tell someone what I saw. So we take down their information, absolutely, because every little piece that we can add to the puzzle that we have might just be, you know, those pieces that we need. Right, so right. It's, but it's amazing that people are still coming forth with really good testimony. What do you yeah. think it is about Phoenix and Arizona that is such a lightning rod for this? It seems no, to be, know. right? We have a lot of people that are outside all the time. Arizona mm -hmm. is a very outside state. We've got right. great weather. You know, it's really hot in the summer, but people are still out. Mm -hmm. uh, but the rest of the year, you know, people are out hiking, doing stuff all the time. They're looking up in the sky. We have a lot of sky. Yeah. You do. And you a lot of areas where you don't have the light pollution, right. I would think. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of desert here. So, you know, the big, yeah. big city areas, yeah, you've got some light pollution. But when you get out, you know, there's just fantastic stars and Milky Way, everything that you can see. So, you know, a lot of people are out. A lot of people are looking up. Um, it does seem to be a hot spot for a lot of things. Um, yeah. I can't explain it yet. Mm -hmm. um, we're still working on that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and have has anybody seen it as close up as the Phoenix light? Because they came in and they came in very close. Oh, it there was, was no missing that. Yeah, <laughs> I mean the one large craft that they describe more often than most was the big boomerang shaped craft, and it was mm -hmm. football fields and football fields wide and right. long. It was huge, and it flew. So not only was it that big, but it flew very, very low over the mm -hmm. center of this giant metropolitan area. So very low, very slow, and right. it made absolutely no sound. Now, to me, that's a big given right there. When it makes no sound, and yes, we got great technology for stuff, but back in 97, yeah. I'm not sure we had the technology to float something that big that low and that slow and with no sound because our propulsion systems now, even now, I was going to say, can noise. they do it now? Yeah. I mean, we have fire and smoke and we make a lot of noise doing it. So right. to me, that zero sound thing was, uh, it's a big hint as to mm -hmm. what this might be, which is not ours. 
Has anybody there have a sighting like that since? Yeah, we have had people that have seen the lights, not the, well, we do see a lot of boomerang shaped craft going around, but we do have people that report in the, the lights as they were put, you know, they were like a diagonal kind of four or five lights on a diagonal. Um, I had a sighting like that myself, maybe about 2010. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there are people that that see this all the time. We did have a a similar sighting here in 2008. And I think we did have another one in 2010 and then something maybe around 2016. Were that many people saw it? Yeah, people are seeing it, but not the amount of people that saw that very first one in 97. I mean, that was... That was a parade. (laughs) Yeah, tens of thousands of people that saw that and over a thousand 911 calls. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's really hard to dispute that. Um, Right. That many people and that much testimony, that much testimony, witness testimony does become evidence. Mm -hmm. It's not proof. And there's a difference between proof and evidence. But yes, that much witness testimony, absolute evidence. Why do you think the government is so against the conversation? Or do you work? Let me back up. Maybe I'm wrong. Do you work with any government agencies? I don't. No. no. And and being the size chapter and the activity of your chapter, I would think you'd be the one that you would be working with them if they were there uh-huh. to... Yeah, you know, I, open to I don't it. know. I, I don't know what the government's up to. Um, yeah. I just know that we haven't been told hardly any truths. Yeah. Kept that yeah. secret for a lot of years, maybe, you know, 1945 on. We've, you know, there's a lot mm-hmm. of stuff that's just been kept silent. Yeah. Um, I hope it's kind they of come weird. forth with it, but they've lied so much about it at this point that there might need to be an amnesty program in place <laughs> to keep these yeah. people out of jail, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Really, because that would be treason against their country. So I I know that there are amnesty programs in the works. Really? If that's what it takes, maybe. You mean to be able to come out and tell the truth and not have to be liable for the the lies? It's a crime against your country. It's treason. You've lied and lied and lied and lied about something that's happened that could, you know, profoundly affect national security. Wow. I never even thought about that. Yeah. My God. Yeah, that would be great. I think that there's a lot of people in high government that that say, you know, no, don't delve in this. We're not looking at this. It's demonic. We cannot do that. So there is that. That is a fact. Um, And then there's a lot of people that just don't believe in it. It, uh, Their their religious background won't let them quite take that in. Their their heads might spin off their shoulders. I'm not sure what would go on, but um, it would be a complete change in everything that they've been taught, everything that they've always believed in. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's a mind blower, but people need to really look into their research. Don't take other people's word for it. Look into the research of the right. origins of mankind, you know, look into the Sumerian tablets, anything that's about the Sumerian tablets. People should be reading about that. That was the earliest written word in stone, actually, that we have. And they predate any of the Old Testament writings by over 1,300 years. And what were they saying? They were talking about how humans were made. Oh, really? Yeah. I have to read it. It's all about 
this species that came to our planet and mm -hmm. basically created human beings, homo, yeah. homo sapiens, and then homo sapiens sapiens. So it's quite interesting. People should probably look into this just a little bit. Um, it's hard to discount. Now, um, why do they show themselves like they would in the Phoenix Lights? And then well, I don't know. Not, I, I think about this a lot, actually. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I would imagine it's you know, your 24-7 career. From, they say, well, it came from that northwestern corner yeah. up there by Nevada, by Area 51, by Nellis Air Force Base. It was it was something that escaped out of there. Yeah. Yeah. Possible. I mean, there's a lot of possibilities out there. I don't know if it escaped out of there and then just decided to follow the freeway all the way down to where the lights started happening, <laughs> the little twinkly lights yeah. down there, Phoenix, you know, a giant city of, you know, 6 million people at the time. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know if they were putting on a show. That I don't had know to be if a it show. was something that got loose. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. Maybe it was under lock and key and it got loose. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it is ours, but still, if they're trying to keep it so top secret, why would they parade it right over right. the top of a major metropolitan city? Right. It, that right. doesn't make sense either. And so, then throw flares up later, pretending, oh no, it's flares. Yeah. And they were so, it was such an epic fail. You know, that flare it thing. Called, it was actually called Operation Snowbird. Yeah. And the Air Force did come in and drop flares that night at 1030-ish and said, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, we had some maneuvers up there. Yeah, these were flares. Here, here's our documents. You can see that we did that. Damn. But the real <laughs> sighting was earlier in the day, there was actually seven or eight craft that came across the state of Arizona, all different shapes. Yeah. This one big one is the one that everyone saw, um, and it was around 830 at night. So there mm -hmm. was a lot of stuff happening. I mean, even up on the Navajo Reservation the day before this event, um, a couple of days before they had craft multiple craft flying just around and around and around the outskirts of this giant valley up there on the reservation and the people up there they just came out with their lawn chairs and their ice chests and sat in the front yard and watched the show <laughs> and to them wow. this is nothing extraordinary this is something that happens a lot and they just say well those are our star brothers those are our star beings we know what they are you white people you guys go all goo goo over this stuff but we see it all the time and this is yeah. nothing unusual so they had a That's lot of activity amazing. up there yeah and you know what i'm going to take a break now and okay. then when we come back i want to know the the connection between native american and ufos okay. or the portals or whatever but we'll be right back okay one thing's for certain life is uncertain do you navigate the unknowns Visit aviewthroughtheveil.com to sign up for psychic readings and classes with Barb Crowley. You can schedule one-to-one -one sessions with Barb for personal and relationship counseling, pet communication, mediumship, career and business direction, or sign up for one of her classes. Everyone has answers through the metaphysical plane, but they need help to access them. Get the help you need today. Visit aviewthroughtheveil.com. You are listening to Metaphysics, A View Through the Veil with Barb Crowley. To reach the live show, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. 
You may also send an email to aviewthroughtheveil at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, this is Barb Crowley, back with Metaphysics of View Through the Veil. And we're back with Stacy Wright from the Phoenix and Arizona MUFON Group. She's state director. And we were, when we, when we broke, we were talking about the connection between Native American and the UFO sightings. And there is a definite connection there. And I'm going to ask Stacy to, to bring in her theories on what this connection is. Okay, well, Arizona is full of Indian reservations. I mean, just in the around the city of Phoenix here, we have five different Indian reservations around us. Mm -hmm. So it's a big part of our life here. And we have become very good friends with a couple of the Navajo Rangers, and they are John Dover and Stan Milford. And they are part of an elite group of law enforcement. Okay, so the Navajo Rangers are not the Navajo police. They are something bigger and better, um, very equal to anything in the CIA and the FBI. Mm -hmm. And they're great guys. Uh, there's a whole group of them. And Stan and John are now retired Navajo Rangers. But we have worked in conjunction with them on different cases up on the reservation. And they've taught us a lot about what's going on up there. Um, the Native Americans up there on the Navajo reservation, which is the largest, they this is nothing new to them. This stuff has been going on forever. And I think they have a really grounded connection with the land. Um, Native Americans are people of few words. They are very reserved. They are very humble. They are very much in connection with the land. So the nature of it, the animals that they heard, the sky, the wind, I mean, they, they view that as very necessary and very important things in their life. They don't take on the materialistic views that white man does. So there's a difference there. I think that maybe the extraterrestrials or the craft um, are attracted to that because they know they're not going to get shot down over the reservation. Anywhere Can else? They, the let me stop you there. A sec. Yeah. Could we, from, from the research I've done, could we even possibly shoot them down? I don't think um, we're capable. Well, I don't think we are either. Um, but we keep trying. Yeah, I know. But, we absolutely you know. <laughs> keep trying, you know, and it's maybe a really bad idea. Um, and they but, can but also we, shut down our nuclear plants, it's been reported, as I well as that, artillery. And we had, you know, two or three different speakers in that have worked at the nuclear bases where the missiles have been shut down. And that is just phenomenal stuff to happen, you know, and I don't know if it's a show of superiority by the ETs as far as showing us how cool they are, how strong they are, or for our own good, you know, because mm -hmm. I mean, they know that, you know, the kids have found the matches. Right. And, um, <laughs> Great way to put it. it. You know, we are a very <laughs> warlike species. Mm -hmm. And we can't even control our own selves amongst our species, much less be friends and get along with any other intergalactic species. So it is an issue, you know? And so I think they're kind of like parents trying to calm us down just a bit. Mm -hmm. At least I hope it's benevolent, you know? Yeah. It seems yeah. to be in a lot of cases. So, 
Now with the Native Americans, though, if it's not that they're safe there, what else could it be? I think maybe they were just drawn to the simplicity of of the people there. Mm-hmm. Um, simplicity in a very, very, very good way. Um, the Native Americans don't make a fuss about stuff like we do. I mean, they're very yeah. interested in it, and yeah, they're they're you know there's some shock and awe going on there too. But they don't go all goo goo over it, you know. It's just but they're used life. to it. They're so used to it. Yeah, and their oral traditions that have been brought down through history, you know, they've um, they've listened to the stories and of the the sky beings and the gods that come down, and then they drew these things on rocks. I mean, we have a million petroglyphs throughout the state of Arizona and many of them depicting something that has come from the skies. So it's been happening for a long time, long, long time. And it's been um, written down basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the, the, like we're talking about UFOs, the craft, mm-hmm. but there are also, which I didn't realize Sasquatch, there are a number of different um, energies that are coming through. Do you investigate all of those? Um, We try not to investigate the paranormal, Mm -hmm. quote unquote. Um, But there are a lot of people in MUFON that will absolutely admit that this is all the paranormal. It is all related there. We don't know how to connect the dots exactly yet, but we know that they are related. Mm-hmm. A lot of this stuff is pretty much proving itself to be interdimensional. And it's all just beyond something that we can't see. But just because we can't see it doesn't mean it's not there. It is there. We see the effects yeah. of it, just like the wind. We can't see the wind, but we see the effects of it. So you have to look a little out of the box mm-hmm. to be able to understand it. So I'm super interested in the whole Bigfoot thing. I have been since I was a kid. Yeah, Um, I don't know why I just have been and I've had in two or three different guest speakers talking about Sasquatch. And Mm -hmm. our favorite is David Polites. I mean, he used to talk about about Sasquatch quite a bit. Now he's more about the missing 411 series, which is super interesting. But, um, you know, when people ask me about what do I think Sasquatch is, I, I think it really is an interdimensional being because he's able to go in and out of basically our spectrum or our existence even. And every creature that's on this planet, we have found bones. We have found a skull. We've found a den. We've found stuff like this. We can prove that there's something there, but we have not found this on Bigfoot. Okay. It doesn't mean that it's not there, but I was going to say they're able to go in and out of some other, you know, parallel universe that's right next to ours. And the scientists now have proven that there's like 11 different parallel universes that they know of. So Mm -hmm. there's a lot more than that, but why wouldn't they be able to go in and out of stuff? Um, There's been Bigfoot sightings in conjunction with UFO sightings, quite a few of those. Oh, really? um, Are the UFOs dropping off Bigfoot there? Are Bigfoot piloting the craft? Are they... I don't know. I, I don't know what the connection is exactly, but yes, there have been sightings that have both things going on. And so that's very coincidental. I yeah. think that it's really related. 
Um, but yeah, I, I like the whole subject of, of Bigfoot and Sasquatch. And I think, yeah. it's, you know, it's, it's just mesmerizing for me. And, and you believe it's interdimensional rather than a planet out there that they're coming all this way. Well, I don't know. It, there could be a little bit of everything going on. I mean, I, you know, it, we, we hear so many people talk about the different beings that they've experienced or that they've, yeah, I guess experienced. So you've got the reptilians, you've got the Pleiadians, you've got the Anunnaki, you've got the different things that people keep talking about. Well, the scientists have also told us that this earth, this planet has turned itself over four or five times, which means all life starts again. I was going to say, what's turning itself over? It has done that. So what if, just what if, way long time ago, very first turnover, maybe that was the reptilians time. Mm -hmm. Earth turns itself over. Maybe that's when the Pleiadians came in and they said, hey, let us, let, let us take a shot at this planet. You know, it's full of mineral resources and all kinds of things that we think is really cool. Let us go down there and maybe inhabit it and see what we can do with it. So eons and eons go, go along. And then maybe another species like the Arcturians or someone come in and they say, let us give, let us have a shot at this. And then I think that maybe our last species that came down and decided to try to create something were the Anunnaki. And that was only 800,000 years ago. And you can read all about this in, again, the Sumerian tablets. It's all right there. Mm-hmm. So 800,000 years ago isn't that long of a time at all. That's just a little blip. Okay, so they came to this planet 800,000 years ago, took a shot at what they could do, tried to create something out of their DNA mixed with the DNA of Neanderthal and Cro-Magnon man at the time. Mm -hmm. And they wanted to create a species that could be their workers, worker bees. Um, They were mining gold and they got tired of of all the hard work and they wanted to create something. They were master geneticists. So why not put their talents to work and try to create something that can work for them? So they came up with homo sapiens and then they tweaked it a little bit more and there came homo sapiens sapiens. Hmm. Um, why do we never see them then? <laughs> How come they don't check back in? Well, you know, I think they, they check, check back in. Um, supposedly one of, uh, one of their years is equal to 3,600 of our years. So, you know, maybe they just kind of took off on vacation and said, hey, we'll skip back by here later. Well, to us, it's just forever and ever and ever and ever and ever to have 3,600 years go by. To them, it's like, it's it's After lunch. We'll stop back after lunch. Planet somewhere. Maybe they come back and check on us and monitor us and mess with our politics and all kinds of fun stuff like that. Unfortunately, if you go back in history, you can see us, I think, getting dumber (laughs) because we've got the pyramids that were built and all these things that were built. And we we seem to be getting dumber as as the species gets older. We're built with help. We had help Mm -hmm. on all. We had to have something. I mean, uh, you know, yeah. even just all the the giant stones on this planet, the upright obelisks and the stones and things like that. Exactly. Those were put here for a purpose, you know, and the the pyramids as well, I believe, are power generators. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're just different kinds of stones that were placed here for a very specific purpose. That's what I mean. We've lost all that knowledge. What is that? How did they? And this technology going on. Right, um, right. 
tell me about some of the people who have been um, taken up by by spaceship. You talk to uh, um, people who have been abducted, right? Yeah, we do quite a bit. Um, the most. And what do they see? Happens or, to live right here in our area, and that's Travis Walton. Mm-hmm. And he had this amazing experience back in November of 1975. Um, he was cruising along as a young man. I think he was like 21 or something like that. He was very young with six other men in the cab of a big double crew cab pickup. They were lumberjacks and they were up there creating slash piles to be burned in the wintertime, you know, cleaning up the forest floor after the lumber operation happens up there. That was their job. Mm-hmm. So they were up there cruising home. They saw this big light coming through the forest and through the trees, and they thought maybe there was a forest fire. So they went over there to investigate. They had chainsaws. They had shovels. They could be the first people on the scene and try to put out this fire. Okay, so they went over to investigate. They found out that it was not a fire. It was a, a big craft that was hovering above the ground, maybe 40 feet or so, big flying saucer-shaped thing all lit up and making a big whirring sound. And, you know, Travis being fearless, basically, jumped out of the cab of the truck, ran over there almost, you know, underneath the craft, Mm -hmm. looking at it at the same time that it let loose a kind of a lightning strike, you know, a, a power beam of some sort came down, zapped him, threw him through the air 30 feet. He landed on the ground looking very dead, His friends thought he was, freaked Mm -hmm. them out, scared them to death. They took off. They were, they were certain that he was dead. They took off out of there before they got into town. They thought, you know what? We got to go back. We got to go back and save our buddy. They went back. Travis was not there. The craft was not there. So, wow, what do we do now? So they go into town, report it to the police. They were all questioned, polygraphed, um, people thought that they had murdered Travis Walton. <clears throat> buried him out there. Where is he then? You know? And then went their, to the police station to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, their story was crazy. Um, three days later, he he underwent a lot of stuff on that ship, experiments, um, some combative behavior, and he, you know, was fighting, fighting, fighting for his life and did some harm to a couple of the beings on the ship. What did the beings look like? Did he say or um like tall grays mm-hmm. like the gray aliens i believe and so and can it. you explain what grays are because well, everybody refers to them the, the typical big black slanty eyed you know creature that you see no hair kind of bald skinny long mm-hmm. neck long arms skinny body right. uh not much of a mouth not much of a nose just you know that face with the big slanted oval and why eye. are they called grays because the color of their skin is grayish. Okay. So there's small grays that are about three and a half to four feet tall. And then there's some very tall, taller grays, mm-hmm. maybe six or seven feet tall. Um, so he experienced those kind of beings on the craft um, and was just kind of, you know, freaking out basically. So they yeah. brought in something that looked very humanoid. I don't know how they did that, but they, they brought in another looking being to calm him down. This person looked very human, very, you know, normal. <laughs> took him for basically a, a, a little walk around the ship and out mm-hmm. onto this big loading dock. 
And Travis realized that he was inside what looked like a giant hangar where there was not only the craft that he was on, but others parked in there too. And it was just huge. That's the last that he remembers. And he woke up very near town. Uh, like maybe he had been dropped off, um, <laughs> made a phone call from a phone booth, called his brother who came and got him. And then they underwent the circus that happened then. And it was, you know, uh, the sheriff, the FBI, the mm -hmm. polygraph tests, the accusations, yeah. the craziness, craziness, craziness. And over the many years that Travis has talked about this and thought about it and just tried to analyze what in the heck happened there and why he has come to realize now that it wasn't an abduction at all. It was an ambulance call. This craft accidentally did him some harm and probably did kill him, but they oh, took wow. him aboard the craft and they brought him back to life and maybe a, a few enhancements along the way. So he'll tell you straight out that this was an ambulance call. So that really turns the story and makes it much more interesting to me. Yeah. That's, I think that's really cool. Um, much more gentle out. too. <laughs> right. Yeah. They, you know, they were doing some experiments maybe on him while he was in there, you know, just the same thing we do. Our fish and game does the exact same thing here on this planet. Um, so if you, what do you mean about, well, our fish and game people, they go out there to these herds of other species mm -hmm. and they get them, they tranquilize them. They take samples mm -hmm. of all kinds of things. They tag them. They monitor them. Okay. They might go back and get them again and take more samples and stuff like that. So if you think of some of these species that are up there in the craft or whatever they're in coming down here on this planet and grabbing some of these herds of species down here and doing the same exact thing, they will kind of paralyze us or tranquilize us. They will take samples of all kinds of things including ova and sperm. Mm -hmm. They put monitors in us, they tag us, and they turn us loose again. And they probably- Did they come- us. Absolutely. Did they come back for him? Um, no, I don't think he's ever had another event like that. It was just that one. Mm -hmm. so. so you think they zapped him, probably killed him. This is what he thinks. Yeah. And then- brought him back to life you said with some enhancements what are the enhancements um, I don't know exactly but I know that Travis Walton is so healthy the guy mm. is super healthy I think he's almost 70 years old I think he's yeah. 68 super healthy the guy runs marathons I mean big marathons not just little local <laughs> town things he does <laughs> these great things and he never used to be a runner at all wow. um, he's just imbued with fantastic health and a really great way of speaking and telling his story. And Travis Walton's story is one of the best because he he's never changed his story. I've heard a lot of people speak and I can see certain people that change their story. Um, they might get a little bit of fame going on and the ego kicks in and it changes everything. Their story gets a little different. It gets a little wilder and, you know, I embellished, I have a, a BS meter um, mm -hmm. that I have developed over the years. And you can see a little bit of that happening, but not in Travis Walton. He's got this great salt of the earth story. And when you hear the man speak, you know, it is the truth. Has um, 
you know, is he been x-rayed? I assume this, that people have looked in his body. Everything. Yeah, he's had yeah, and nobody's picking know. up anything really. That um, not that I've heard, mm-hmm. not that I've heard, and I know Travis pretty well. So yeah, yeah, that's pretty wild. Yeah, it is. But how about now? Do you hear about? I I remember hearing about abductions in um, the seventies and eighties, and then I never heard about them again. Yeah, there was a lot of things that were documented. Um, Bud Hopkins, any book by Bud Hopkins that you can get a hold of, he has documented a lot of things there. Um, and there's some other authors out there too right now. I'm drawing a blank on it. Um, but how come in Dr. the last Davis. 20 years, there, you know, uh, there aren't any, it seems I like. I don't know. No, they're, they're still happening out there. But maybe they the are. that we first heard about were just so fantastic sounding that it, Maybe it just stuck. There still are a lot of abductions. You think we're getting on. used to them? <laughs> maybe. You know, maybe yeah. it's become old hat to us. I'm not sure, but it's mm-hmm. still happening. Um, and I don't, I have to ask, I don't understand why such a superior um, species, because they are really, you know, anything right. oh, yeah. that can come in the way they can come in and leave the way they leave, mm-hmm. why they just, why they hide why they just don't yeah you know i don't know either i wish i did i'm i'm not sure what that is um it is would, it would seem like you know they would want to well we would hope that they would want to help us yeah i, I think our our human way of seeing things is just a lot different than their way of seeing things I'm wondering if there's energy fields that they can't tolerate for any length of time, a density or something. Yeah. That they can only take short bursts. Yeah. Now that, um, that would become overwhelming. I mean, we are overwhelmed by other planetary things. Mm -hmm. They probably would have some of that too. Um, Maybe because it's kind of hit and runs, you know, they'll come in, Mm -hmm. show themselves and be gone. Yeah. And um, don't seem to stay for a real long time or any right. length of time. Yeah. A lot of people yeah. have, you know, repeated visits and visitations, you know, stuff like that. Um, and some people do, you know, a relationship with some of these beings. You know, I've talked to some people yeah. like that, that, yeah. that have a, a relationship and, and just can think that a name and, and all of a sudden they've got communication in their head. Right. And yeah. I've had to sit back and think, crazy, not crazy, but yeah, they don't appear I, crazy. I think <laughs> that these people are not crazy. They they have a gift that somehow got opened up. I think that right. actually we're probably all born with the gift of mm-hmm. telepathy or seeing and knowing things, but yeah. we haven't used that muscle and it has become weak. We rely on a whole bunch of other things in life now, but I think that we've got that built into us. And, you know, I think if we practice and strengthen that muscle, we can probably get going in a whole nother direction as well. And I, I know I've tried, you know, telepathy. I keep practicing, you know, trying to yeah. do a <laughs> telepathy yeah. thing. I'm, I'm not getting too far with it, but yeah. I, I think that it does exist, you know, uh-huh. and, and I think that you could probably practice and practice and get it going. I mean, these people that do remote viewing. Right. And, stuff like and then that. the near death experience people. You can yeah. learn this. I mean, our government taught it back mm-hmm. in the 70s, you know, and so it can be learned and practiced right. and really used. Um, yes. 
And just the so, psychic stuff, getting information that you can't get. I mean, there's no explanation for it. I've heard people come up with it, but they're making it up. They're trying to explain something that is happening that they really don't understand how yeah. they're getting this we're, information. We're just missing a little bit of information right. to help us along here. And I don't know if we need to prove ourselves and, and find that for ourselves or why they won't show us the way. Right. You know, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But, um, yeah, and the other thing is thing. kids seem to to be able to see both sides of the veil yeah. until about four years old. And then they they lose it. The veil gets pulled and it's yeah. kind of the information's gone. Young children. Yeah. Have yeah. Children. Yeah. I, I don't know what's going on there either. It's it's amazing. Um, we're coming to the end of the show. Believe it or not. It's like, oh, I'm just getting into this. Yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> And, you know, I want you to talk about to move on and also the, um, you know, the boot camps you have okay. and, and what you're doing there in Phoenix and also what you're doing for the rest of the MUFONs in okay. your programs. Um, well, you know, like I said, MUFON is the backbone of MUFON is the field investigations. That's what we do. That's what keeps us going. The presentations and everything else that we do, the big yearly symposium, it's all a bunch of great, interesting, fun material but the investigations are the backbone. So we decided to just take it upon ourselves and start a boot camp. And so this will be the fifth year in a row that we've done the field investigator boot camp from MUFON. So it's held right here um, near me in Mesa, Arizona. Mm-hmm. And it's a three-day intensive workshop, basically. So we have people from all over the world fly in. We only take 40 participants. And, and what qualifies the participants? If they want to come here and do it, they can do it. There's no, no okay. qualifications. And, they, yeah. and it, they're not guaranteed to come out of it as a field investigator either. It's not an exam or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It's some of the real great boots on the ground forensic work that we can do. We want to show people how to do this. So yeah. we have, you know, mornings, 8 till 12 noon of uh, basically schoolwork. You know, we show them everything mm-hmm. that we know and what they would need to know as far as the protocols of and they can get hold of you for that. Yeah, they can okay. just write into mufon.com and ask about the boot camp. Okay, so good. We do classroom work in the mornings and we go out in the desert in the afternoons we do forensic field work out in the desert. And these are actually the afternoon sessions are actually taught by John and Stan, the Navajo Rangers that I oh, had wow. earlier. Yeah. yeah. So not only do they add this awesome Arizona tribal flair, but they do it well. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have the symposium coming into Denver, I think, in July. Yeah. This year it'll be July 8th through 12th in Denver at the Sheraton. And it's always a great bunch of information there and great lectures. It's a full two days of conference and there's some little side trips and there is a field investigator training that's held there as well. So it's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds great. Mm-hmm. And I'm in Denver. I might be out of town yeah. for that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But I'm going to see what I can do. So anybody who wants information should come to the phoenixmufon.com? Well, just information on MUFON. They just need to go to www.mufon.com. Oh, That's good. our main website, and they run the whole thing worldwide. Mm-hmm. And you can find out everything you need to know on the website there. And if you have more questions, you can write in and ask. Okay, great. 
Stacy, thanks so much for being here. Wish we had Thank lots you. more time. I really enjoyed it. Was it. Great. Yeah. Thanks so much. Uh-huh. Have a great weekend. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us for Metaphysics, A View Through the Veil. Please tune in for another edition with your host, Barb Crowley, next Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Enjoy your upcoming weekend.